Hello and welcome to Erebus Soccer World Cup coverage. And uh, I'm here with former Preston North End women's manager, Sean Spencer. And those watching on the YouTube feed are in for a treat because it's 10 p.m. where I am on Eastern time. Sean is in peak golden hour and you are glowing, <laughs> my friend, glowing. Yeah, and the sun is slowly dropping, so I have to keep angling my computer because if I go this way a little bit, I am really glowing. And just to uh, paint a little picture for the audio only, um, Sean has a stadium background uh, wearing an Inter Milan jersey. Uh, could easily be a Milan derby I'm looking at right now, Sean. You'd make oh. a very intimidating centre-back. Absolutely. It's a, it's a 1997 Inter Milan jersey, and I'm, I'm giving a little bit of Igor Tudor of uh, Juventus, I think, with the 1997 ball. Inter Milan. Is that peak Ronaldo? It... Samarano was there. Carlos was there. I oh, know. He's a good player. Now, had Ronaldo gone at 97? You know, I know in 98, 99 he'd gone because uh, my one memory of Zamorano was him walking backwards during a Champions League game into Yapstam <laughs> and turning round in absolute fear like he'd just walked into a house. And he had peak stam. Uh, that was the game with two Beckham assists um, during the treble year. Yeah, I, I want to say it's the 98 when... Can't remember because Ince Ince had left, and then Ronaldo joined. Oh, really? Yeah. Anyway, so, on to games they will talk about twenty years from now on the women's side. Um, round of sixteen game, and wow! Sometimes in a thirty-two team World Cup, that round of sixteen game could be a little on the easier side, right? We've seen the England men beat Denmark three 0 We've seen them beat Ukraine 4-0 in the Euros. Um, but this was a war. England <laughs> v Nigeria. Um, England have scraped past Haiti 1-0. Beat Denmark, who were a better team, 1-0. Looked a bit vulnerable on the counter in both games. Uh, blew up and looked unbelievably good against China. 6-1. Uh, and being dragged back down into a dogfight here. Um, really tough game. Really impressive performance uh, by the Nigerians. Um, what do you think? What's your summary of the game, Sean? Yeah, uh, it, it was a dogfight. And I, I think it'd be fair to say England survived this one, which is impressive, but they survived it. Uh, one thing, what we've said over the past two episodes of this, one thing that I've been highly critical of is and I've used New Zealand as the main example, is teams sitting deep and waiting for the last two, three, four minutes of the game before they try and win it. What was impressive with Nigeria is they sat deep, but it wasn't 18-yard deep. It was like middle, middle third. They were contained, compact and patient, and then you know, we're looking for the counter-attack. And I think that has been the number one mistake what majority of teams have tried to do is they've tried to defend way too deep. And by the time they start playing, it's too late. The game's lost. Yeah, I, mean, I think one thing that stood out to me here about Nigeria is it's all right to sit deep, but at some point you get isolated 1v1. You know, for me, that Chinese team could have sat as deep as they wanted. But every time Hemp and Russo squared them up 1v1, they blew by them. So the system gets demolished. But the um, the strength, the speed, and the 1v1 defensive ability of each member of the back four and at least one member of the centre mid was phenomenal, as, as good as I've seen in the women's game. Yeah. And I think one thing that we should point out with, with Nigeria, because I think this has been missed by certainly a few of the commentators and the pundits... Um, on on Fox Sport is Nigeria might not necessarily have a fashionable name like Netherlands or Sweden or Brazil, but they are they have very good players, 
And I think that sort of flew under the radar a little bit. So I don't think enough credit was actually given to the player's ability level. So they do. You know, the the girl who comes on as a sub, the Barcelona player, looked phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's why I think it's so impressive. Uh, Randy Waldrum who mm-hmm. is doing two jobs at the same time. You know, I every time I speak to a D1 college coach, they tell me they're so busy, there's not enough hours in the day, blah, blah, blah. And we got Randy Waldrum here, very successfully running a women's Division One team and casually sliding a World Cup in as he does it. And the, um, the build-up was a circus, Sean. It was a circus. You know, they cut his 12-day training camp to, I think, two or three days, he was forced to use a goalkeeper he didn't want to use. They wouldn't let his American assistant, Lauren Gray, travel. Um, I forgot the exact quotes, but they're calling the guy a mouthy buffoon. This is the Nigerian FA. Um, you couldn't have the deck stacked against you any more than this guy had going into this tournament. Um, and by the way, you've got the horse nation in your group. Um, and you've got the Olympic gold medal winner in your group. Um to, to do what he's done, which is, you know, on paper, go home undefeated because the, the shootout games count as a draw. Yes, they have good players, but I think it might be the best coaching job of the tournament, regardless of who goes on to win it. Yeah, and also, you know, he only has, what was it, 11 members of staff, and you're allowed yeah. 22. 21 or something, yeah. And he had no scouts. I saw like, that. Which is amazing. Yeah, and and those that don't know, like eleven for say eleven members of staff, you think that's like a lot of people. You think head coach, assistant coach, and a goalkeeper coach, but when you add in all the physios and scouts and analysts and all that, eleven's not a lot for a World Cup. So yeah, yeah. unbelievable stuff. Um, so on the teams, uh, England come out in the three-five-two, which debuted so spectacularly um, against China. Um, we have Walsh back in for Zellum, which is a very welcome sight because you know Walsh limped off and we thought that would be the end of her World Cup, right? When yeah. she goes down with the Denmark, she mouths, I've done my knee to the bench. We get all the articles about ACL injuries in the women's game. Uh, I certainly didn't think that uh, we would see Walsh starting in midfield again, but here she is. And the lineup for England is Earps in goal. Very impressive tournament so far. Uh, Carter, Bright, and Greenwood in the back three. Uh, there was a statistic that the Man City defender, uh, Greenwood, had completed more passes at this point before kickoff than any other player in the tournament. So the pep effect counts for the women's team too there, apparently. Um, a centre mid of Stanway and Walsh behind the superstar from the China game, Lauren Lauren James, uh, Rachel Daly, and Lucy Bronze is an excellent pair of wingbacks with a front pair of Hemp and Russo. Um, you know, Walsh is an upgrade for Zellum, so personnel-wise, we have the team that has blew away China, and we're bringing back in one of the best centre-mids. Nigeria got this far. Um, they kept two clean sheets versus Olympic gold medalist Canada and Ireland, either side of a 3-2 win against the whole host nation um, with goals from Kanu, Ohale, and Oshiwala, who was back on the bench for this game. Um, the team is Ndozi in goal, uh, Lesterborn, Ashley Plumtree at left-back, Demahin and Ohale as centre-backs, Alozi at right-back, Ajibade and Ayinde on the wings with a central trio of Oyadupe, Kanu, and Achebe with Onumonu, who plays in the NWSL, up front. Uh, very impressive to even get this far from Nigeria. I would imagine any pundit pre-tournament is backing Olympic gold medalist Canada to go through. Um, Canada very much riding high in the women's game. Uh, betting on host nation Australia to go through and probably betting on Ireland and Nigeria to finish in third place. So we're already impressive getting here for me, and it's about to get even more impressive as this game goes on. Um, It's tight opening to the game. It's physical. It's intense. Um, We got a sign of things to come in the sixth minute where Lauren James, she has to already come very, very deep to get the ball. She's 30 yards from her own goal line. 
Um, she's marked man to man very tightly by Ayinde or woman to woman, if you will. Sorry about the the wording there. Um, we have another play soon after where Hemp gets played into the channel, which you know was the source of multiple goals in the China game, and she cannot get by uh, the centre back Ahale. So I'm watching this early doors, and it looks it looks tough. You know, in the eighth minute, James wins a header in the defensive third. She bowls over Ayinde. Um, we've got a physical battle on our hands here. Obviously, for James, it's going to come to a head late in the game. But what were your thoughts watching the the opening exchanges of this game? Yeah, exactly what you just said. My my only surprise, because we we had said this in the last episode, that Nigeria were going to be physical, they're athletes, and they're organized. Now, I just said this. The thing that surprised me was how high up they were willing to do this. You know, they they were willing to try to defend against England in that middle third and, and shut down Walsh. And I think I think England weren't prepared for that. I don't think they were prepared to be shut down as quickly as they was. I don't think they were expecting to have as many players around them. And I certainly don't think they were expecting to have this battle in and around the, the halfway line. Yeah. I think what would have rattled England, in my opinion, is, you know, we've all played against teams. Well, you know, I'm talking like I've played in a World Cup here, but we've all played our coach relative <laughs> to our level. Yeah. It's teams who can get up in your face and make you rush decisions, tough to play yeah. against, can't connect in the middle third. But you usually say, you know, if you turn it round the corner, make them turn and chase, get in behind, let's at least even the game out and, you know, force them back a bit and let the game breathe. But when you when you don't have time on the ball and when you're playing those balls over the top to Russo and Hemp in the channels and these girls are getting nowhere because the defenders are too good 1v1, that that's that's not a great thing, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and what you find... For the most part, teams are able to do this for 15, 20 minutes. You, you see a week on, week out, you'll see it like teams against, you know, use Man City as, as a great example. But, um, you know, it's after the 20 minutes that things start to break down for teams. Now, not to jump ahead a little bit, and that was the impressive, impressive thing with uh, Nigeria, is not only did they start like this and and rattle England, they did it for the duration of the game and they, they actually sort of moved through the gears throughout this game where England sort of, you know, using the car reference, like stalled a few times or over-revved the gears and yeah. missed the gears. Agreed. Agreed. Now we get the first Nigeria chance. About 10 minutes in, we got the left-back Plumtree. Uh, cool story. You know, she's English-born. Um, she played for England from U15 to U23 level. She came out and played at USC in America. And uh, Ashley is white, and she switched to Nigeria, apparently, according to some reports I'm finding in the Sun and the Mirror newspapers, after her older sister, who was darker-skinned, Bailey, faced racism. Uh, she wanted to make a grandfather proud and she switched to Nigeria. And, you know, watching this game, I'm sure her, her entirely, entire family's proud. You know, she there's an argument that she's the best player on the field for this game. Um, so she drives up the line. She feeds Ajibade. Ajibade puts a back force cross in that's like, it doesn't look too threatening, but Herbs is in a bad spot and she ends up having to backpedal and tip it out for a corner. Um the corner gets headed down in a crowd, cleared by Jess Carter. Um, then we have him played in down the right flank again. This was such a successful tactic against China. Um, earlier, she gets turned away by Ohale. This time, she gets held up and kind of sent backwards by the other centre-back, Demahin. And it's just so, so obvious that the patterns that worked against China are not working here. James is tightly man-marked, barely seeing the ball. When she does see the ball, she has to go very, very deep. There's no vulnerability in behind, and England is going to find out a different way to get through a game, which is part of tournament football. Um, 
You know, Ajibade then plays in Uchede. Uh, she's 1v1 with Greenwood. Greenwood wins that battle, so we got good defensive play on both sides, uh, deflected out for a corner. And it's just one of those, you're getting the vibes, it's a tough, classic, gritty, knockout game. You know, one goal's probably going to have a disproportionate impact on this game. Um, the corner goes directly at the penalty spot where the very powerful right-back Alozi rises, gets a header on goal, but it's blocked by Russo in a crowd of bodies. Uh, Nigeria keep coming. Uh, the centre-back, Onumonu, who, oh, it's an interesting one. I would say Onumonu, she looks big, strong, fast, able to penetrate behind, but um, didn't strike me as a particular goal threat, if you know what I mean. You know you get these strikers sometimes who they're good at hold-up play. Uh, they can get in behind, but you just don't, don't get that feeling that goals are coming. She kind of gave me those vibes in this game. Now, I, I don't know if I'm being harsh because Brighton, Greenwood and Carter are an excellent back three. Um, and they do play a system where she's very isolated at times. What what were your thoughts on the the Nigerian centre forward? Yeah, it's it's similarly similar to um you remember Titi Camera for Liverpool. Or... Yes, that is exactly the type of player I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah. That's I, I know exactly what, what you're saying. Um you know, and you have the opposite, don't you, with some strikers where yeah. they, they look like they're absolutely useless, but then just score. Yeah. You know, score. he was he wasn't useless, but I think I always thought Van Nistelrooy scored a disproportionately high volume of goals for what he looked like over the course of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And there's you know, there's a whole host of, of players like that. I I think like one of the most, you know, you use Nistelroy, but you've also got like Berbatov. Berbatov will just like seem to not be doing anything and then all of a sudden will just score an yeah. absolute worldie. So yeah, and I, I know what you mean. There's a lot of like huff and puff, but not really any sort of, you know, end product. Yeah. She gets played down the left flank here. Um Cross clears everybody, but for me, I'm watching this. We could tick past 15 minutes, which I always tend to try and watch and measure games in 15-minute periods. Nigeria is the better team in the opening 15 minutes, and it's it's not close for me. Um, we almost get the, the first goal in the 16th minute, and it's Nigeria again. Plumtree, she plays a ball forward. It gets kind of half cleared by Greenwood. Kanu uh, collects it and crosses. Greenwood clears again. It's another kind of half clearance. It drops to Plumtree about 20 to 25 yards out, and she absolutely smashes a shot against the bar. It is so well hit. Um, the keeper, Earps, is world goalkeeper of the year, and even though it's central, if this is just a few inches lower, there's no chance she saves this ball. Um, what a hit. Th thoughts on that play? Yeah, again, it was a great hit. And this is a good point of um, something that I wanted to, to mention with with Earps. Now, you know, I know we haven't covered uh, Colombia quite yet, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but she doesn't go with a left hand ever. I didn't. I'm not disagreeing. I just didn't notice it. Every single strike, regardless of whether she should or shouldn't, she goes with a right hand. And again, we'll we'll see that when we cover the, the Columbia I'm, game. I'm gonna watch that now. Yeah, yeah. Just that's an interesting detail. Yeah, and and you sort of see it with with that strike. Now it's one hell of a strike. But now knowing, you know, the future a little bit with the Columbia game, you know the the clues are there with this this left hand, and since I've like clocked it, and it's only been sort of a couple of days ago, I've I've sort of found this little pattern, and then rewatched Nigeria today. Uh, you you start to see that that weakness. Now I just hope no other coach sees that. Um, well, if they didn't, you just told them because everyone <laughs> listens to this. Well, and if they don't, if they don't, they've just missed the gem. If, if they don't, they should. But that's interesting because, you know, I am a believer. There's some people in football like, well, she, she's the world keeper of the year. She must be good. Well, she is good. But that doesn't mean that people don't have deficiencies and things they can work on. Um, yeah. So I will watch that. Um, 
You know, the bar's rattled. I'm rattled. Uh, <laughs> England's well and truly rattled. Nigeria comes again. Another cross in. Falls to Plumtree again. This time she forces a save from Earps. The stats come on the screen in the 18th minute, and it is a 5-0 advantage in shots for Nigeria. It very much feels like it. Um, England respond. Uh, they send another ball into the wide channels for Hemp. Um, but Demahin stands strong again, and England just do not have the threat they had v China. You know, the, the evolution of the tournament was England played um, Heidi and Denmark in a 4-3-3, and we talked about Russo being isolated. Um, then the 3 by 5 2 came up against China, and Hemp and Russo took turns running the channels and having a central partner, and it looked unbelievable. Um, but this Nigerian centre-back pairing is just every bit as fast, every bit as strong, and every bit as good as the England strike player. Um, and the threat in behind just seems non-existent to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but we were having a conversation over daily being a fullback compared to a striker. Yeah. Uh, we're talking we're talking about Russo and and Hemp up there. And I think I think the before the, before the China game it was the debate, right? You forget it yeah. now. Six feet yeah. China, but should Russo play? Should Daly play? And, and this is where uh, this is where I, I think I, I'm at with it. Looking at Daly, I just think she has more to unlock defences. So I think Russo and and Hemp are absolutely fine and, you know, against the majority of the centre-backs, you know, they're still going to score. But I, I think when you're in them really tricky situations where you need a clever striker, I think Daly is that clever striker. And I think that was part of the issue. I think it was just all a little bit too predictable. Won't disagree. Uh, there is a telling player 22 minutes in, England try and find Lauren James back to goal. She turns the ball over. She's left face down by Ayinde. Um, A minute later, James gets the ball. She's double teamed. She gets tackled by Achebe. Um, The ball ricochets forward. There's a misplay by a Nigerian defender. Russo ends up with the ball. The shot's saved by Nadoze. Um it's just different for Lauren James, right? She's got no one or nowhere to roam. She's got no room to breathe. Um, and then it's it's almost symbolic. It's like someone's written a script here because there's a cross from defender Carter to James. Um, and the announcer says it's similar to the China goal, and it is. Um, it's, it's a deep cross from the right-sided centre-back to James at the back post. Except instead of being wide open and cushioning a volley in and run at the corner flag celebrating, this time Ayinde is given a not a free yard, deflects the shot out for the corner. She's tightly marked. Um, it's just a different game for James. She's she's really struggling to leave any kind of footprint on the ball in the early stages, and that doesn't really change much as the game goes on. Uh, Greenwood takes the corner, flicked on by Stamway. Um, Daly gets a volley, which goes right at the goalkeeper, Nadoze, but good for Daly. She's in a left wing back spot, but she still manages to consistently be a threat for goals and assists, even in a more defensive position. She's just just a gifted, gifted footballer, right? Yeah, I think she's gone full Will Ferrell in semi-pro. She's <laughs> just gone rogue, hasn't she? You know when he's just running around? What is it? R- Rover. That's it. I'm going Rover. All I can think of is when he keeps getting the pass. Give me, give me, and he just gives it back and wants it back again. <laughs> that's it. That's all. That's when me see... playing six v six indoor. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. And then thirty first minutes, um, England get a penalty. Uh, cross comes in by Greenwood, who, by the way, was tremendous. Uh, Daly is bundled over by Ajibadi. It seems to me. And I'm going to ask your opinion, but I'm going to give mine because I do have one. And I'm pretty convinced it looks soft live. It looks soft on the replay. Um, I found it very weird that Jackie Oatley and Mark Clattenburg seem convinced it's a penalty. I don't see it. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah. No, that, I, I thought the same. I thought it was a little soft. I think it's, you know, when you see the replays, it's easy to like get carried away a little bit. 
yeah, I often change my mind on replays, but I didn't hear. It just did not look a penalty. It didn't. Um, the timing was weird. They got to clean this timing up on the VAR because Stanway, this is, this is a girl Stanway, by the way, who's already had to have a penalty save, retake it to score against yeah. Hayden. Um, so now she puts the ball down, she steps back, and then they have the VAR review. So, like, the penalty gets cancelled. But imagine if they have a – she puts the ball down, she steps back. They have a full five-minute VAR review, and then what? She takes it? Like, come on, man. That, that's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I don't understand the whole – how they've gone about VAR in this tournament because it seems like very much – Two two years ago, yeah. You remember when, like, the Premier League started with it, and then everybody, you know, were looking at Germany because Germany had it down where they could make a decision. I do remember that, yeah. Less than thirty seconds, and now you know the Premier League's just started up again, and the VAR is, you know, very very quick. But then, for some reason, the the Women's World Cup seems to have gone back in time. Where it, it's taken, I can't remember what game it was. I, I want to say it was Switzerland, but it took, I think it was seven seven minutes and forty seconds for the VAR to to like happen for the decision, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, it is. It is. But I, I, again, I don't I don't understand why. Why that's the case, I don't know whether the people who are in the VAR room just don't want to make a decision. I don't... There, there has to be a reason for it because we've moved on from the times of it taking five minutes. Agreed. Agreed. So they showed 10 replays. Um, again, you know, Ortley and Clattenburg are adamant it's a pen. Every single replay looks the same to me. Daily stops, waits for the contact and hurls herself to the ground. I'm not biased. I'm an England fan. It's not a penalty. Um, and rightly, it is given as not a penalty. But it's weird when you think one thing very strongly and both the announcers are saying otherwise, you sort of doubt yourself, right? Yeah. Um, two minutes later, we got Ajibadi on the ball in the penalty area. She has a shot on goal blocked by the uh, very powerful Millie Bright. Um, at the end of the play, Kartner and Achebe end up both just laid out injured. This this is just a a battle, you know. It is a physical battle. Nigeria end up with a corner. Plumtree wins the header. She heads it wide. Um, England have a corner. Gets punched clear by the goalkeeper. James volleys over, and it's interesting for James. I think this is a good step in her career because she looks like the best player in the world against China. And a game later, uh, she's bottled up. And this is why I believe you shouldn't make rash judgments on young players because. To be scouted by opposition, focused on by, op on by opposition, and retain a level of greatness over multiple years is a very, very special thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's going to be someone we don't know yet blow up in the Premier League, and they're going to be compared to Mo Salah and Harry Kane. No. No. Not until you get your little breakout year, you start getting absolutely, ma you know, magnified glass, <laughs> magnified by opposition, yeah. you get scouted, you get planned for, you get marked, and they do everything you can to delete you, and you can still retain that level, then you're truly great. So James is, has the has it in her, but at the same time, Nigeria, to me, have had a relatively easily time deleting her from the game after she looked like the best woman ever to play the sport against China one game earlier. Um, just be half-time. Half There's probably a player that, I use the word symbolic twice now, but it just reflects the game. Lucy Bronze, bombing forward, um, has been a feature of the tournament for England. She does it once in like the 43rd minute. It's the first time I can remember all game. Um, and it's a heavy touch. It goes out for a goal kick. Um, England look blunt. Nigeria have a tremendous back four. Lauren James is man-marked very well. Um, you know, like you got the left back rampant in Plumtree. She's probably one of the best attacking forces on the field. Uh, Randy Waldrum's got to be happy at half time, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I would be, I would be, because again, you've got them, you've got England exactly where you want them. The the rattles, and now they're going to start like forcing things and start trying to to do a little bit too much. Um, but just going back, just going back to the the James thing about you know 
one minute being the best player in in the tournament and then the next minute being sort of man marked and not really having any answers. And again, we know we know the conclusion to, to this game yeah. with that. Um I just recently recently saw a, an interesting uh quote from McAllister. So signed for Liverpool, played for Argentina in, in the World Cup. Hey, this is like Ronaldo now, because like there's an original McAllister McAllister. Gary yeah. McAllister. Yeah, well Argentina McAllister. Yeah, World Cup winner <laughs> McAllister. Um and and he was saying they were talking about Messi, and he was saying how how Messi helped develop his, his game, and he was saying Messi in the World Cup was getting like I said man marked and wasn't finding any space higher up the field. So McAllister, uh, he told McAllister to go and play in that higher position because nobody's going to go and mark him, and then that will free up some space for for Messi a little bit deeper, and then Messi will be able to get on the ball more and play with McAllister a bit more higher up the field. And, you know, that's that's it really, isn't it? It's identifying um, the situation, the problem, and then having having a solution and being able to communicate that and, yeah. you know, experience. And I, I think what you've just said is an aspect of the sport that's missing in a lot of development today. Because mm-hmm. instead of being presented with a problem and finding a solution and maybe finding different solutions game to game. Um, coaches go too quickly to, ah, uh, they, they play the wrong way. You yeah. know, ah, uh, they're marking me. Ah, uh, they're sitting deep. No, like, this is the beauty of the game. You know, yeah. they they give you a poor problem to solve, solve it. It's like, I grew up and one of my favourite athletes was Lennox Lewis and I always liked that about him. He was a chess player. And, you know, you put Mike Tyson in front of him, you put Klitschko in front of him, you put Tour in front of him, you put Bruno in front of him. They're, they're different puzzles to solve, right? You don't enjoy one more than the other and you don't value or respect one more than the other. You just play against what you're playing against. And England, to be fair to Serena Wiegman, she's not one of those, I believe, very common soccer coaches where she's she's crying at tight defending and she's crying at fouling. She's We'll talk about it more later, but she's very adamantly trying to solve the problem that she's given yeah. with disrespect in the opposition. Yeah. Um, I think the first 15 minutes of the first, second half are just like the first in that Nigeria, to me, are the better team. Um, nobody can call me biased. I'm an England fan. It just is what it is. It's what I'm watching. Uh, the ball gets fed out wide left, back post cross. It's met by Kanu. She's under pressure from Daly, who I think is just a tremendous player to, to do what she does on both ends of the field. Ball hits the top of the bar and goes over. Uh, the first couple of England attacks of the half, uh, we have a left um, cross from the left, headed clear, and then like a through ball from Daly that's just got a little bit too much on it and goes straight to the goalkeeper. Um, Nigeria keep coming. They win a corner, headed off target by Plumtree. Um, Bright blocks a shot from Onu Monu. Um, I do think the England back three had the better of the centre forward of Nigeria. Maybe even the wingers, but I thought the overlapping fullbacks were were big problems on several occasions. Uh, 57 minutes in, biggest England chance. Um, not for the first time. It's a set play and it's a good ball by Greenwood. Uh, Russo heads it wide. Um, and that end that, that earlier chance ends up the last kick for Onumonu, and she's subbed for Oshiwala, who um I'm assuming. You know, I'm not one of these who goes, why didn't he start so-and-so? I'm assuming there was some fitness issue. I heard she hadn't played 90 minutes all tournament. To me, Oshawala looks a much better player um, and a much more bigger threat to score than Onumonu, and she'll show that on several occasions in the the 33 minutes. She worried me more as an England fan um, after coming on than than Onumonu did. What did you think of Oshawala? Yeah, the, the same thing. And, and again, like a pedigree's... You know, she's a good player. Awesome, right? Yeah, and, and you can see it. You can see it, and I think that's the. I think that's been the thing with with England up until you know relatively recently. When you're going up against a good team, it's very different than going up against a good team that are very dangerous, have clever strikers, clever wingers. You know, then it becomes a problem. And I think that's what she then gave Nigeria. I think they were comfortable, even though they were getting like overloaded. If that if that makes sense. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, perfect sense. Um, 66 minute, Hemp finds room, shot deflects and loops over onto the top of the net. Um, Nigeria come up the other end about five minutes later, Kanu with a header wide. I don't know if she's related to the original Kanu from Arsenal. Uh, I thought that every time I heard the name. Um, yeah, cool. 76 minute, there is a another corner this time for England and uh, Daly gets denied and this is this is a massive save by Nadozi. Daly's open, heads on goal. To me, it's a great save. Um, the rebounds ends up falling to Russo and the follow-up is a pretty soft header straight at the goalkeeper. So technically it's a double save, but the first save is is very, very big because an England goal with only 14 minutes left could have been all she wrote, right? Um, yeah. 79th minute, Oshawala sort of flexes her muscles, um, gets a first chance, smashes the ball over, but it's very, very clear that, that she is a problem um, for the defence. Uh, 84th minute, uh, England play well enough that this is not pivotal, but if England lose the game, this is the pivotal moment. Uh Lauren James, she gets snuffed out again. Um, she fouls a lozy and then she stamps on her. Um, you know, there is no need for, you know, I saw one tweet saying, oh, we need to be more outraged. Like, be quiet. It's a red card. Um, we don't need the David Beckham all over again with silly death threats over a red card in a soccer game. But it is petulant. Um, to me, it's a girl who is mentally defeated. She's frustrated. Um, it's blew up. It's not a one-off incident. It is the accumulation of, 80 plus minutes of magnificent defending by Nigeria. And like I said, you know, this is this is something that's either going to break her, which it won't, I'm sure, or this will be a real learning moment in a career where five years from now, maybe when she's won the golden ball, she talks about this game as a real opportunity to look in the mirror and and move forward as a player, because clearly she's not the finished article and Nigeria have, have exposed that over this one game. Um, and I think that is the result of the red card. I don't think it's a you know, red mist. I don't think it's a one-off incident. I think it is a pressure cooker red card where she has been frustrated for 80 plus minutes, defended very, very well. They're not cheating. They're not fouling her. And she's she's been beaten by it. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and uh, that incident is kind of like typifies how like Nigeria played really. So you see... You see the incident where she, the Nigerian player, puts her like arm across to stop her like moving forward, and then you know that then takes her down to the floor, and then she stands up, and instead of walking away, which we all like want her to do, she then, you know, just lets her know that she's not having that. Mm. Now, you know. 80s, 90s, 2000s, like you, you're getting away with with that because it's it's a little bit discreet and it's it's not she's not stamping with any sort of like venom in the it's just more of a just letting her know that you know she's not having it. Do you not find it similar to Beckham's 98 red? Because I do. Because there's an argument he only flicked his leg out. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think the difference the difference with the Beckham thing is he's just had enough and just like flicked his leg. Where I think this is more of um, you know almost like on the streets. It's just like uh, you know just get off me, get off me, get away with me, get. Get away from me! I'm not. I'm not having it. I think that's the slight difference. But in this day and age, like you just can't get away with it with with VAR. Um, and and again, I think the age, like 21. I think of what the stuff I was doing. You know, I nearly got kicked out of college for elbowing and spitting at a player. So I, I can't. I can't like pass. Exactly. But you live and learn. <laughs> you live and learn. <laughs> So I, I again like just thinking like now if they had cameras when I was playing, like I don't know, it would have been game. You would make a fantastic YouTube highlight reel, my man. Do not sell yourself <laughs> short. Well, <laughs> so that, so that's it, and I think this is the thing, you know, with with a lot of fans and people like that, it's easy to be sat there and watching, and then 
you know, five, six, ten minutes after the game, an hour after the game, the next day after the game. You know, it's easy to say, oh, that was a stupid decision, which it was. But when you're in the heat of the moment, like you said, frustrated. It's happened over 84 minutes. Um, I think where I think where the issue would have been with like her character as if it was something, you know, dangerous if she's gone in two-footed at knee-high. I, I just think it was more of a, like, a tag. Just a little, like, just, I'm still here type. Warm. Is it a red, Sean? It's a red. 100% it's a red card. Right. Yeah, but it's not, it's not like, dangerous, I think, is the point I'm trying to say. It's not malicious. It's more, gotcha. you know... Where I think I think Beckham's was slightly different. I think his was he's just lost his head. I think you know he's just down and the red mist. Where I don't think she had the red mist. I think yeah. it was more of a you know just when somebody comes at you with your head and they you know they put the heads together. I think it was more one of them, and that she's done the push. If that makes sense, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, a slight, slight difference, but again, still a red card. She shouldn't have done it, and it nearly cost England the game. So we got some images of Serena Wiegman here that I love. Um, usually, you leave impressed with the players. I've left as impressed from this game as uh, left this game as impressed with the England coach as any player. Um, she's down to ten. There's just a red. There is no crying. There's barely any emotion. There's no whining to the referee. There is a very detailed discussion immediately with her assistant. And again, this is the problem-solving aspect I believe needed to win trophies at the elite level. We are where we are. How do we win from here? Not crying about where you are and how you wish it was different. Um, we see interviews and podcasts and read books by coaches and they all sound great. But this here, this specific minute, World Cup knockout round, Legacy on the line, down to 10 players, this kind of composure, this is elite. This makes this woman, in my eyes, one of the best active coaches in world sport. Um, thoughts on that? <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I find this whole it, – it's fascinating. So you just spoke about Twitter or whatever it's called now, X. X, X Twitter. <laughs> X Twitter. Um, and I, and I heard all these things after the Euros about a coaching in the men's game, and you know you had the the army of people saying that she, you know, she's not good enough, and all this like nonsense. Um, and I and I find it I find it fascinating with, you know, women working corporate environments with men because that was the other thing. It's mm -hmm. different working with. With with men um, and the egos and stuff like that, and I, and I was just thinking about it. I was like, well, what about all these like women who are CEOs of banks and you know massive organisations in in control of uh, of men? And then what about the Queen? Exactly. So there's there's a million and one examples, but because it's because it's soccer. You know, we have to think a certain way. So, and 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 I'm looking at it, and you just you just said about how she was composed and how she's sort of problem solved and and got England essentially through to the semi final. Now, I I had spoken the previous episode about her her Renard, the French coach. So he's got. A fantastic French team, as good as England, if you ask me. Player for player, French team are as good as England. You've got a coach there that's coach Marseille. He's won the African Cup of Nations. And, you know, he's, he's coached at the Men's World Cup. And he's probably one of the first, like, coaches, a man coach to go <laughs> in the women's game. And then he's, you know, he's been knocked out before Serena. You know, he's been knocked out in, yeah. in the quarterfinals. So, again, it's just the whole mindset to me is baffling with 
with the, the the thought of women going into men's football. I know I've gone off, off on a little bit of a tangent here, but um, I'm going to add know, to your tangent, so keep going. Yeah, and we've just had we've just had the the, the manager that's gone in at Forest Green, and I know she's going to come under all sorts of scrutiny because Forest Green are Forest Green. Duncan Ferguson went there and essentially failed. And and I think I think that's it. There's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of women's coaches that aren't very good, but there's also gonna be a lot of women's coaches that are good. The same as the men's. I just don't think there's any there's any difference. And I think with Serena, what I've seen, like I don't I don't think you can you can knock her. I think she's highly intelligent, tactically like been superb and I think one of the most important things that we're not giving England like enough credit for finding a way to get over the finish line even if things are going against you and you know it might not necessarily be pretty but winning is is very different than um you know looking good and going out and we've seen that with you know one of the great managers Mourinho just finding that way to win. And she's obviously able to do that. She's done it with with Netherlands now and she's done it with England. And now, even if they got knocked out now, she still managed to get England to the semi-final, which is incredible. I think we live in an era, Sean. I mean, women coaching men, it's coming, it's here. There's full-time women coaches in the NFL. Their D3 national championship on the men's college game was won by a woman. Um mm-hmm. You said about Forest Green, it's coming. It's there, you know. The it's not a debate of if it's going to happen anymore. It's just how quickly it's going to happen and to what degree. Um, but I've had personal experience coaching men and women. And what's funny is my first job, I was successful with women, and I was told, "Yeah, you can coach women, but you can't coach men." And then I took a men's job, and I did well. And they were like, "Well, you can coach men, but you can't coach women." People just minimize everything you do. You know, my personal experience is, yes, there are gaps in gender, but is every female player emotional and every male player tough and resilient absolutely not absolutely not that is nonsense there is massive crossover and i could name names of male players uh that fit the female stereotype and the other way around um i think what you got to do is you you look at things like tony robbins the six human needs you know the real top level of human leadership uh the need for connection, the need to feel part of a group, the need to have something to aspire to. All these needs, you know, the, the, these apply to both genders. You know, and if you can fill the human needs of somebody and connect with them, you can have success with coaching a male or a female. Now, will mass opinion on the outside differ? Yes, but that's never going to matter anyway. It's always going to be the connection between that coach and that player. Um, and another big part of coaching is, you know, I do sports psychology work and team coaching. And when you do sports psychology work, you can go deep, deep down into values, beliefs, and you and I can connect real deeply. And in a locker room, we can't do that. Because if I do that for player A, player B sees it and he doesn't like it. And then I do things to make player C happy and player D doesn't like it, so he wants difference. So when you're coaching a group, it's much more about creating social structure, fairness, an environment where everyone feels valued, an environment where... Everyone feels like they know what to do to get from where they are to where they want to go, and they have a basic understanding of the rules. It, they, these are these don't differ by gender. You know, these to me are foundational aspects of coaching. Uh, could Serena Wiegman coach a men's team successfully? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, back to the game. Uh, <laughs> so the answer for now to the problem is target forward Russo is off and Chloe Kelly is on. My opinion on this, England have switched to 4-4-1. Chloe Kelly can move around the pitch a bit more than the stronger, bigger Russo. And England are now going to sit in the 4-4-1, try and hit in the break. And in Kelly, you've got someone who was a match winner off the bench in the Euros. Um, Another super sub performance is very much needed. Now they're a player down. Um, We have six more minutes of injury time, nothing much happened. Um, so we go to extra time. Nigeria have the man advantage. Um, I think England, you've got to be tempted right now, a player down, sort of to hang on, right? But I think that's unwise because I think 90 minutes into a tournament game with fatigue, 
30 minutes is a very, very long time. And to go strategically and emotionally on the back foot, just to hang on, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, we got Kelly subbed on. She's got some pace uh, to be at least dangerous on the threat. We've still got Hemp on the field who can move. We've still got Daly on the field. There's no reason that England can't at least be a counter threat because it's just a long, long time to hold on. Uh, Randy Waldrum is strategically going for the throat, I think. Um, Ayinde, who was the magnificent man marker or woman marker of James, she's more than done a job. She's kept James quiet. We've got a sent off, but we have now sent on Echigini, who's a bit more of an attacking presence. Um, aggressive move by Waldrum, a man up. I like it. And as you'd expect, it's a cagey extra time period. Um, takes eight minutes for the first chance to come. And it's kind of a sign of the extra man. The right back, Alozi, has now moved to uh, left wing, it seems. She overlaps inside the 18, the extra player. But um, her shot skews wide of the goal. It's that classic miss that you see all the time. They're steaming into the back post. They don't wrap their foot around the ball. They kind of slice it. It goes off target. Um, 103rd minute, Oshawala. Um, she squares up Greenwood, who I believe was the best player on the field. Um, if not Plumtree, usually Aline giving the MVP slash man of the match award to the winning team. So I'll probably give it to Greenwood in this game. Um, Oshawala blows by her real easy. The cross is over hit. But that to me, you've took on a very, very world, top world level defender and just blew by her. It's impressive stuff. Um, Half time arrives. Uh, England. Uh, Still thinking about attacking, thankfully. Um, a sub I will never get tired of is England on for England in place of hemp. Um, 4 4 1. We got England central now. We got Daly and Kelly on the wings. If England are going to find a winner, it's going to be a so you know something from that trio. Uh, 114th minute. Uh, Opera Nozzi comes on for Oyadupe. Um, Waldron looks like he's trying to press with that extra player. Um, Right after it looks like you may need to use another sub because Daly and Ajibade both end up down. It's a hard clash of heads, but they're both open with five minutes from penalties. Uh, long throw finds the very, very dangerous Oshawala. She spins, she hits a shot. It's right at up. Um, we go up the other end. England have a set play of their own. Greenwood, she pumps in a long free kick. Uh, England heads it wide. Right at the back post as the ball's heading there. She just she just can't reach. Um, and 109th minute, 119th minute is a sad sight. Walsh, um, she's returned from the injury. She's lasted more than 90 minutes. I would say of all the players on the field, she was the one probably least ready for this to go to end the time. It comes mm -hmm. in the injury back again. Um, she goes off. She looks visibly upset. Zellum's on for one minute um, of contribution unless she takes a penalty. Ajibade, she goes down the right wing. We got Daly step for step with her. The cloth is headed clear by Bright. Um, foul on England by Ortega to relieve the pressure. And that is it. Um, thoughts on the extra time period, Sean? Yeah, I I honestly think, and I don't know if this is partly because they're very rarely in that uh, position, but I, I actually thought Nigeria should have won it. An extra time. Mm. Um, Oshawala definitely looked like she could have won it. Yeah, and, and I think I don't want to say unprepared to be in that situation, but I think the Nigeria was surprised, you know, to be in a point where they can win the game and they're against ten players. Because when I when I was watching it, I was I was worried for England. They were on the back foot. Nigeria had the upper hands, uh, and I, I just think it was there. It was there for them in that um, in extra time. But um, you know, we, we go back to what you were saying before with like the preparation and the camp and all of these things against them. And I think I think this is like the fine detail where you know if you do have them things, they're the things that help you get over the line. Yeah, and if you have the ten extra staff that the other teams have. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I I was thankful that England managed to make it to penalties without conceding. I think that's probably the best way I can put it. Yeah. Um, Wiegman and two assistants buried in an iPad. 
it's just a very impressive staff. You know, I just all I see is calm. You know, they're going through the iPad. They're probably looking at patterns of previous penalties. I just see calm. I see leadership. I see an absolute lack of being rattled by the pressure of the occasion. Doesn't even seem like it is pressure. Just seems they're at work. Um, England get the first penalty. Stanway comes up, and I said it earlier, but what a weird tournament she's had from the penalty spot. You know, she's been saved by Heidi. She scored the retake. She's put a ball down and stepped back to take it today before a review has took it, and maybe all that's accumulated because she smashes this wide left. Not a good penalty. England get off the hook immediately. Opera Nosey, the substitute, um, she misses with almost the identical kick. Uh, smashes it wide left. Um, England steps up for England. Um, it's a side foot. It's hit well. It's it's interesting because from the live angle, and there's two penalties like this, it looks top corner. But then you watch the replay, and it's pretty central, actually. And the goalkeeper has just dived past it, um, almost overdive for it. So we got 1-0 England. Um, the right back, who's been very impressive and drew the red card for James Alozzi, steps up. It's a bad penalty. Um, she smashes it over the bar. Uh, the keeper up, spreads her arms in celebration. And uh, you know it hit me that we're well over two hours past kickoff here. And this is probably the first moment in the entire game where England seemed to tangibly have the upper hand. Yeah. I agree. Uh, third penalty, Daly smashes it. And I mean smashes it. Uh, top left, Nigeria's in trouble now. 2-0 down in a shootout. Um, the stats must be through the roof as to the percentage of teams that win after going two goals up in a shootout. Um, Ajibade, she's had a good game. She steps up. She keeps them alive. Fires it low past Earps. It's similar to the England penalty that it looks like it's in the corner, but then the replay shows it's actually pretty central and Earps just pick a side and dove past it. Um, Greenwood comes. Again, best player on the field for me. She scores, so it's 3-1 England. She slots it to pile the pressure on Nigeria. Uchebe steps up, and it's one of the worst spots you can be in in a shootout, right? You know, you you if you score, you're probably going to lose, but you keep it alive, and if you miss, it's over. Um, and under those circumstances, she gives it the old stutter, stutter step, low to the bottom right. What an impressive penalty. Um, but no fairy tale for Nigeria. Chloe Kelly smashes up. Chloe, Chloe big game, Kelly, if you will. She scored the winner off the bench in the Euro final. She has the chance to score the winner here in uh, from the penalty spot in a shootout in the last 16 of a World Cup. She hammers it. Very interesting statistic I read that this goal was hit harder than any men's shot in last season's EPL. It's 69 miles per hour, and the record for last season's 22-23 EPL season was Saeed Benrama with 66.6 miles an hour. Um Wow. Yeah. Is a stat. And, and it was in the top corner. Yeah. Yeah. No men's keeper, women's keeper, me, you, nobody's stopping that. So I think you said it best. England have survived here. And honestly, that's it. They haven't yeah. dominated. They have very much just survived. They could have lost at multiple points. It's a tremendous tremendous performance from nigeria um very unfortunate to be going home um take nothing but pride with them great job by andy waldrum as a coach i don't know if any coach may be weakman if they win it but even then i don't know that he's not the coach of the tournament uh what a game was not expecting it to go like this what a game yeah oh you froze on me there you are an oh, england yeah. era now through to a quarterfinal against Colombia, and uh, Waldrum returns, I would hope, heroically to the University of Pittsburgh uh, to get ready for the fall season. Yeah. Yeah. Quality game. Quality game. Nigeria. Like I said, the majority of the game, better team, they just didn't have that cutting edge. Yeah, that, that that was ultimately it. Gotcha. All right. So, final thoughts. Um, I think 
looking at the World Cup now, I think the teams that are left, anybody can win it. Anybody can win it. And I think one of the impressive things for me with this England team, and I said this like a couple of episodes ago, you know, and you've seen it for years and years with like I, I, the first team that comes to mind is Alex Ferguson with Man United, even though I despise United during the 90s, was they just won. It didn't matter how they won. It didn't matter when they won. They just found a way of, of winning. And somehow, you know, this England team throughout this tournament have, have managed to find an answer to get to get it over the line and get to the next round. And that's, you know, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. All right. So we will be back very soon for the quarterfinal against Colombia. Thank you all for listening. Sean, it's been a pleasure as ever. Goodbye. Speak to you soon.